So tonight, uh, if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at John 15, Romans 12. We might look at a couple other things somewhere in there. So that's where we're going to be headed in just a few moments. But I want to start and uh, anybody like in here said like, I've worked hard on my life. Anybody like, yes, I've like, I've paid the price. I've worked hard on my life. Not as many as I'd hoping for. Come on. Who's like, you know, I put, I put effort into my life, right? There we go. Whew. I was about to resign a second ago. <laughs> Have you ever like, I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody here has lost some weight. Maybe somebody here has like ran a marathon or maybe somebody has overcome great addiction and somebody takes issue. They're like, you know, you should lose a couple pounds. You know, like you're like, you don't, you know, you're like, you, you get all like feisty about it, right? When someone takes issue about the work that you've put in, when someone completely misunderstands the effort and the intentionality you've placed into working for your life, you kind of get a little feisty about it, don't you not? For me, like, there was something recently where someone called my, my walk, my life, and my wife's walk into just kind of an observational critique. And I'll tell you what, I didn't take it very well. <laughs> I didn't take it very well because, one, I, I thought it was kind of misinformed, but I also had, I, like, I was reacting out of, like, wow, what is this feeling I have, and why is this opposition here? And it really, like, stirred something into me. I don't know if you've ever had that where maybe... Maybe like you have overcome and, and, and now you're not the same person. The people that were closest to you now say things about you like you've changed. They, they, they say that maybe you, you don't partake in something so now they call you judgmental, right? Maybe they see that you don't partake in something and they call you a hypocrite, right? Because they saw who you used to be and they call you, well, you're a hypocrite. Now, how about you live in a bubble now? Have you heard those kinds of things when they called about your life? It happened to, to me and my wife, and it was hard because, you know, when people say you've changed, it's, it's typically not for, like, the better. They're not giving you a compliment, you know. It's not like, oh, thanks, you know. They're like, you've changed, and they're all, like, grumpy about it. And so what happened is my mind went from, like, being offended because I didn't know how to place it to God giving me revelation on what's really happened. It's like he kind of took me up just to, like, look down and just have, like, an understanding of what was taking place. And that's what I want to share with you guys tonight. Is that when you are transformed by Jesus, you become whole. Sometimes those who are closest among you don't like what has happened. And there's going to be this awkward opposition, opposition from areas and places you had no idea it was going to come from. And how do we process it? How do we understand that? How do we like not get bowled over by our old selves? You guys know what I'm talking about? When I go, I'm not from here, I'm from the Northwest. And when I go home, you know, sometimes to Portland and, you know, I stay in like my bed I grew up in, my room and, you know, like I kind of revert back to like, you know, 12-year-old Eric. You know, I just, there's something about it. And that's the same way about our transformation with Jesus. Sometimes when we become who we're really supposed to be, I look around you and I see so many people who are, you're exactly who you're supposed to be. And the strongest force, not all the times is the enemy, is the devil, but it is your old self and those who are not happy about who you have become. Are you with me? And the goal for the opposition is to take issue about your transformation, kind of make you feel guilty, trying to take the, the joy from it. 
And in, in the place you've worked so hard to get, people look at it and they say, it's cuckoo land. You're like, I, I, I'm crazy right now for how people are responding. So we're going to talk about that. So John 15, if you're there, John 15, I'm just going to read a few passages here. I think we'll have it on the screen for you. And it's more important that you listen, that you understand what's being said than trying to get caught up in any words or any other thoughts. Here we go. Verse 7. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, and because of this, the world hates you. Sometimes it's easy for us to compartmentalize scripture. But you catch what was going on here? All in John 15, it goes from bear fruit, abide in my love, love others, I love you, the world hates you. <laughs> Never like catch that shift. It's like, that was weird. And it's like, abide in my love, love one another as I have loved you. I have given you all things and it brings me the greatest joy. The world will hate you. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get this, and it hit me is that sometimes we need to forget the notion that we can be the most loving people. We can abide in Jesus, we can love others, we can bear much fruit, and we will get a complete opposite response to what we're expecting. Just because you love others and are filled with the presence of God doesn't mean everybody's going to love you. Right? Our, our minds want to say that what we do and what we become like, means a particular outcome that's nice and rosy and people are happy and all loving and reconciled and tears of joy. And, you know, you, like you expect that when your life gets on track with God. And here he's saying, my plan for you is that you would abide, that you would love and you would bear fruit and you would ask whatever you wish. And then he comes to this thought says, and the world will hate you. And here, here's what struck me is that as we become closer to Jesus, his presence becomes more manifest in us. Like we become the attributes of God because Christ lives in us, right? Galatians 2.20, we no, no longer live, but Christ dwells within us. And so as Christ is more made powerful in us and we let him live through us, is that the world is gonna be responding to the fruits of Jesus and not about us. What, what, what they're going to do is it's going to turn the whole entire paradigm around for what the workings of Jesus becomes an adversary to the world. 
So the closer that you get to God, the more attributes of Jesus that you have. And so wholeness, as we talk about journeying to wholeness, it's not about getting rid of your junk, not getting over the past. All that wholeness is when we talk about that is actually just getting rid of the things that hide the presence of God in your life. You have the full presence. Not one of you should ever believe that you're at all deficient of God or that there's not God in you or God is not all powerful in you. That's not the case at all. The word doesn't teach that. The word just teaches that we just have all this stuff that covers it up. And then we need to work to get ourselves into a place where we are no longer hiding it. And so the more you get whole, the more you embody Jesus. So we must understand what, what Jesus says he is, we also take on. Jesus says, I am the prince of what? Peace. I am the light and the truth. So who Jesus says he is, when we are becoming whole, we become the attributes of Jesus, meaning you are truth, you are light, and you are peace. So you're like, truth, light, and peace, why would there be any opposition to that? The goal for us is to not to be able to address how to have the world not hate us, because Jesus said that's going to happen. She said, it's going to, they're going to be an adversarial approach to what happens to you. And so the goal tonight is to not to like combat it, not to try and fix it, not to try and, and change anybody, but to have understanding. Have understanding why it is the way that it is sometimes. There's no how-to. But when we have understanding, we'll be equipped We'll be equipped to know how to respond, if at all. Sometimes I've, I've learned that the most transformational work that God can have in me is to not respond at all. Did, I, did you catch that? Sometimes the work, the most transformational work in your life is that God would empower you to not respond at all. Sometimes he asks you to respond. But that's the temperament that Christ gives us to look at the situation in great opposition and that he would give us understanding. And from that understanding, we, we decide how to respond. I know it's kind of in the abstract, but here we go, right? So I have five things that I want you to understand if you are pursuing wholeness. If you're being transformed by God, how do you have understanding for that positioning and understand why there would be opposition? These five realities, number one, is your life automatically exposes darkness. You have the presence of God in your life. Every place you go, your life is a beacon of light. It doesn't matter what you say, what you do, your very existence is light. If Jesus is the truth and the light, you are truth and you are light everywhere you go. Light, by the very definition, exposes darkness. And without a single word, you need to know that your life is a threat to darkness. You need to know every place, your workplace, your relationships, your, your dating relationships, like your adversaries, your enemies. I don't like every place you go, the shopping store, the grocery market, like, every, like literally every place you go, you are a beacon of light. And so by very nature about being light, your life is exposing darkness. Anybody love Superman growing up? Yes. <laughs> I loved Superman, except the costume was never completed. It was always like blue pants, and like a blue top, you know? And then I had to like buy red underwear to put over the top so it like would complete. And everybody, I didn't know why people laughed at me because I was wearing underwear on the outside. That was just his costume, right? But do you remember like the movies and like the kryptonite, right? And the closer Superman was to the kryptonite, like they would like run to him and it would like, it would be, you know, the, the closer the kryptonite was to Jesus, the more powerful its effect had on him. 
It's the same thing for you, but in reverse. And that's why the people that are closest to you, you carry the truth, the presence, and the light. And the closer they are to you, the more responsive they're getting to the, the light. The more that you are putting a finger on the darkness that maybe they hold. Jesus is working through you whether or not you know it or not. The very presence and place that you take, God is ministering regardless of a word, regardless of an action, just your very being there. And so the people who are closest to you sometimes will respond out of greatest opposition, not because it's anything personal, because you're in closest proximity to them. Are you with me? That you have intimacy with them, and so when you carry that truth and that light into intimate relationships, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, is that sometimes you can yield a response that you don't like, doesn't feel right. And the temptation is to hide our light, is to try and minimize its effects. I'm not saying that we should go jam our Jesus action figure down anybody's throat or anything like that. What I'm saying is, is that when God has given us opportunity to be who we are, we shouldn't hide it. Don't be ashamed for your light. Don't be ashamed of your transformation. It's completely unbiblical. Biblical. Back biblical. <laughs> Matthew 5.16 says, let your light shine before men. Let it meaning that our tendency is to hide it, is to be ashamed about it. You don't need to go exposing darkness. You don't need to go flip the switches. You don't need to do any, like hidden cameras. You don't, you don't need to do any of that. Your very presence is bringing all things into light. The second thing is, this is big, living by truth will expose those who are benefiting from your lies. When you start living by truth, it will expose those who are benefiting from your lies. Let me put it this way. It is a sad reality that there are some people benefiting from your personal brokenness. There are people that actually get personal gain from our broken positions, from the lies we believe. Let me give it to you this way. When you stop living according to former lies, you will discover those around who are offended by its absence now. That they know something's wrong. When I was in college, I lived in these apartments in, in Carpinteria. And uh, so I had like this like Wi-Fi little broadcaster thing. It was like pretty new. And uh, I didn't know a whole lot, but I just set it up. And it was unencrypted, right? So I'm like, you know, using my computer. I did my little business from there. And then one day, like the internet went down, right? It was like down for two days. And I go in like this little like area where everybody kind of congregates from all the different apartments. And everybody's complaining about the internet being down. <laughs> I'm like, What? And I realized all these people were mooching off my internet. Like when the internet went down, all of a sudden people were like, oh, this sucks, the internet's gone. I'm like, that's my internet, you're not paying me for that. The same thing is, is, about, is about our brokenness. As we transition out of brokenness, sometimes somebody's losing something they had access in your life. Is that making sense? You believe lives and somebody's mooching off your brokenness. They're getting some personal gain. Let me give you a powerful example of this. And ladies, please forgive me. I'm going to pick on you for a minute. That's <laughs> sweet. Let me ask you this. Ladies, is there a boyfriend that is benefiting sexually from you because you believe lies about yourself and God? Are there, are there guys that have benefited from your broken positions about how you see yourself, how you see God? More directly, is I think that there's a direct correlation between the strength of truth in a woman 
in her life and her willingness to be sexual with a man. We have to get out of this mindset that people, and I'm picking on the girls just a little bit, but it's the same thing. People don't have a sex addiction problem. They have a truth problem. People don't have a temptation problem. They have a truth problem. You don't have a self-control problem. You have a truth problem. Every single sin, every single temptation, every single compromise boils itself down that you believe a lie, that you believe a lie about yourself, that you're not worthy, or maybe you need the attention. So ladies, I'm picking on you. There are men that they're going to take advantage of maybe broken places that you're at. They're going to calculate maybe what they can get from your insecurities. There's other examples for the guys, but I just want to like sit on this wise because I was one of those guys. I can tell you like that I'm, I'm, I'm horrified that, that there's a period of my life in high school where I specifically made intentional relationships because I knew that there was a weaker position for my gain. We have to know that, that when we get whole, there's something that's being taken away that somebody might be leeching off. When you know the truth, we know that it's not about promiscuity, it's not about self-control, it's not about anything. It's about knowing who God is and let that govern our decisions. If a man is able to convince you to go to bed with him, it means that he is benefiting from the lies that you believe. What happens if you cut off the physical? Does a relationship survive? If it doesn't, then it was all feeding off the lies. If the relationship cannot survive the ending of the physical, then the whole entire relationship was a leech upon the lie that you're insecure, that you don't value who you are, that you don't value who God is, you don't treasure the beautiful creation that God made you. I wonder how many men are preying on women who lack the strength of truth in their lives. This is biblical. This, like, this exact scenario is in the Bible. Can you believe this? 2 Timothy 3, verse 6 and 7. Listen to this. For among them, this is uh, Paul talking to Timothy about the current church. For among them there are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Right there, right in the word, right in the church. Men praying on weak women who are weighed down by their sins, by their guilt, right? That the women and the men, that they are always learning but never coming to the knowledge and coming to the power of the truth. But when we understand the power of the truth, it sets us free, allows us to say, I don't have to do these things. I don't have to be compromised. And it gives a whole new light. And so as we get whole, there's people that are losing at the same time and they're going to be feisty. They don't want you to be plugged in. I remember like, I was afraid when like a girlfriend started getting more serious about her relationship with God. Why? Because I had a lot to lose about her growth. Right? Amen. If, I won't, if you won't say it, I'll say it. Amen by myself. <laughs> and if other people are benefiting from your former dysfunction... We, we, can, we can fill in the blank. I know, I'm sorry, ladies, but it just was, I wanted to, to free anybody who needed to hear that. We could give it all directions, all right? So I'm not saying this is the only way it cuts, but when we get rid of our former dysfunction, sometimes the opposition we have is because that person had something to gain. That person had something to gain from you being stuck, from you being uh, 
totally discouraged, from being hopeless. Somebody had something to gain from your brokenness. And so as you get whole, those people will be made known. Number three, living in truth reveals and disrupts people's games. Living in truth reveals and disrupts people's games. Every game requires everyone's participation to work. Anybody know that? Have you guys ever played Mafia? It's like our favorite game in El Salvador. So those of you who know how to play Mafia, now what if we're playing and I'm Mafia and then we say, okay, everybody wake up, I'm like, I'm Mafia. Like everybody be like pissed at me. Like, yeah, Sarah's Mafia, Eric's Mafia, Angel's Mafia. So let's play the game. Like it wouldn't work out, you know? It, it, it requires everybody to lie. It requires everybody's participation. You can't just have nine out of 10 people playing mafia. Like if everybody's playing mafia, they all have to play together or else it all falls apart. That's the same way in some of our relationships. Sometimes they are so dysfunctional that someone has created a game that keeps everybody playing this game and everybody surviving off this game that's going on, right? Maybe it's never telling somebody the truth because we love them. Maybe it's never confronting somebody because that would be really unkind. You know, like these games, like we don't want to do this because we don't want to disrupt the peace. You know, like there's these tiptoeing games. And as you get whole and as the light of Christ and the, his truth comes into your life, sometimes it blows the whistle on the game and it says, I'm not going to participate in that. If not everyone participates, it all falls apart. It's funny, oddly enough, I was like reflecting on, you know, weird problems you have like to think about when you have kids like, will we tell Scarlett about Santa Claus? <laughs> you know, I was like, things that occupy my mind these days. And think about it this way. Santa Claus only exists as long as everybody keeps perpetuating the lie, right? <laughs> That's the only way he exists is everybody keeps on telling this lie. And then at some point, like, you know, oh, you know, I remember, like, I really thought Santa Claus existed. <laughs> I was, like, really bummed. But it's interesting how, like, that is kept alive by people lying. And when somebody tells the truth, it breaks it for you for eternity. And many of us, we are unknowingly pawns in somebody else's game. We are unknowingly pawns, players, strategic, that people are using us for whatever game they have. Sometimes we've been raised in families that have taught us how to play the game, and we play the game amongst each other, right? And as long as you keep playing, people will love you. But if you lie, other people will, will uh, sorry, if you lie, other people who lie will love you as well, right? But if you don't lie, then those who are lying will be like, you're blowing it. What are you doing? Like, they need you to continue that dysfunction to keep it going. But truth reveals the game and exposes those who are organizing the game so you know it's at play, like your eyes are revealed. And they will want to continue the game. And so if you have somebody who's breaking off relationship with you, if somebody's breaking off relationship with you because of who you become, there is a game that's being played. There is a game that they are trying to fix. There is a system that they have orchestrated. If they are breaking off fellowship, relationship, love, if they're withholding love from you out of who you become, there is a game at play. And that they're organizing and benefiting. And does it ever feel like sometimes you're the only one who's like, I think this way, everybody has this unified opinion of things, and you're the only one? Why is that? Because 
People who are playing the game among themselves, they're repeating the same lies year after year, generation after generation, right? The same manipulative, the same dysfunction, the same lying has made them all agree. And if everybody agrees like Santa Claus, right, it kind of works for a little bit, for just a time. But the moment that that lie gets brought into truth, it's gone. And so it works for them as long as everybody agrees to play. And when everyone is lying together, it can give them the impression that it is working. But I'll tell you what, it is not love if you have to participate in a lie, How many of us are in loving, like complicit in relationships because it's a loving thing to do, but at the root of why you're doing it is a lie. It's not love. If you have to participate in a lie to show someone that you love them, it's not love. And they all think they have the same advice. That's why they all think alike. (laughs) They all believe the same lies. I also noticed that broken people want other people to be broken with them. It's kind of like, all right, nobody's moving, nobody's moving, nobody's moving, you know? Right? It's like, I play basketball on Tuesday mornings. I have a guy, we kind of have like this no running rule, like we'll kind of like only go as fast as each other's like pushing each other. We have this unspoken agreement, you don't run hard, I don't run hard, all right? So, and so sometimes in, as you become whole, like it's, it's playing basketball with Sean Lawrence, who's like this crazy fast runner who always like exhausts me throughout the, the court. I'm like, stop running. <laughs> You're making this exhausting for me. But when that happens, though, like the inclination is come back to us. Come back to being broken. Come back to being dysfunctional with us. Come on back here. Don't do that. Don't make waves. It's so much better over here. One thing, if you have people trying to give you advice, this is a little bonus on here about the game. If someone's trying to give you advice, look at their life and ask yourself, do I want the attributes of their life in my life? If they don't have attributes of their life, you're like, I could see that looking really good on me. Then don't take their advice. It's amazing how many people think they have great advice and like, Their life is like, I don't want anything you got. Appreciate the invitation that you could disciple me. I'll pass. Thank you. I don't want to go any farther backwards than I need to. Anyways, bonus. Number four. This one's powerful. Remember, Jesus is the prince of peace. You have peace in you. How about this? Peace is not an outcome, it is a position in the heart. Peace is not an outcome, it's not a goal, it's not an endeavor, it's not an explicit outcome that you can ever bank on. How and why, let's look at Romans 12, if you have that, just one verse, Romans 12, 18, it says this. It says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. If possible, you get that how it starts? If. Mean, peace not be, may not be possible. Right? Peace may not be possible. So far as it depends upon you. Meaning, you only can control yourself. You can't control others. Peace is not always up to you. Peace is a position of where your heart is with them. Peace is a position of where you bring into control how you respond, how you believe, how you react. And peace ends with you there. 
If someone else is going to be peaceful back <laughs> and, and come together with it, so be it. Awesome. Praise the Lord. But it's saying, if possible, meaning that we cannot sacrifice our wholeness for something that may not be possible in the real realm. Again, if you have to participate in a lie for there to be peace, it's not peace. Jesus being the truth, the light, and peace, you can't take any one of those apart. You can't have peace where there's darkness. You can hide things and have sin be totally hidden, saying, I'm at peace. It's not real peace. <laughs> You've like glossed it over. You put a lot of frost and other thing, and it looks good on the outside. But it's terrible on the inside. My dad's 40th birthday, we lived in this uh, farm uh, town outside of Portland called Troutdale. Literally, that's where we live. And so we have about 20 acres, and we would lease our, uh, our land to people who would have cows. And they just would mow the lawn and, you know, just hang out. Well, for my dad's 40th birthday, like, their friends, they, they went and got a cow pie, right? Brought in, and they put chocolate frosting all over it and put all the birthday candles on it. And they gave him the cake for his birthday. And but he was wise enough for it. And I'm sitting there, and I know it. And right before he... And, and he I now know that he, he, he knew this. But like he's sitting there and he's like cutting through it and he's hamming it up, right? And he gets like the fork and I like break. I was like, dad, it's a cow pie. Like I couldn't like handle to have him like eat it. <laughs> I was like, don't do it, you know. But the same is like, it doesn't matter how much frosting, what flavors, you can put Skittles on it. It's still cow crap at the bottom. It's going to be a losing battle, I promise. Uh, that's, what, that's what peace is in cohabitating, codependent, manipulative, lying, dishonest, darkness relationships. It's pretty frosting, and inside it's, you know the word. So stop trying to accomplish an outcome of peace if it's not possible. Because you can be peaceful with somebody who's attacking you. I'm reading the book right now called Tale of Three Kings, and it's about David, right? David and Saul, and, and David was like the up-and-comer, you know, king to be, and Saul was like so furious that he was going to come, and so Saul would like throw spears at him, and David would just like sidestep the spears. In the presence of having spears thrown at you, you can be peaceful, right? There's a war going on, but David was at peace with Saul. Saul was at war with David, but peace is up to us. It's the position of our heart. And the world's idea of peace is sweep it under the rug, is it not? It's to keep the pieces. Don't rock the boat. Don't make waves. Get over it. Stop being so sensitive. Those things sound familiar? Silence does not produce peace. Silence does not produce peace. I just read this last week in Christ's life, is that a lie unchallenged becomes truth. A lie unchallenged becomes truth. And so if you are in relationships that are demanding that you keep the peace, just be silent, just don't make waves, and you're acknowledging lies going forth, you are underwriting those lies to become truth in that relationship. When we know the truth, again, we don't go cram Jesus figurines down people's throats, but we just we stand for truth. Like, you, that, can, that can go on, but I'm not going to participate in a lie. I'm sorry. So many times God has convicted me. He's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. And I'll go to sleep and I'll be thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it. Like, okay, it's a big deal. I get it. You know, it's, 
It's amazing how when we come into truth, like the smallest things now become really important that we're responsible to truth. Little white lies, they're, they're cancer. And I've also known in this about peace is that uh, beware of the peacemakers, right? Amen, anybody? Who's like, I've had a peacemaker come to me and they're like the most divisive person I've ever met. It's kind of like someone who tells you they're really humble. You're like, really? Somebody who has to tell you they're a peacemaker typically is not a peacemaker. Peacemakers live and produce peace by responses, by actions. They don't need to go trying to, well, I've, I've come to do my peace with you. You know, like, they, they don't organize peace. They typically get more in the way. And it's amazing how the most controlling people come in our relationships under the guise that they're the peacemakers. Like, you just want peace for you. That way, you can control me. You know, that's not peace at all. If people are the peacemakers... then we need to ask, what is the fruit of their life? Again, it gets back to, don't take advice from somebody who doesn't have the attributes that you want. The peacemaker, how, what does peace look like in your life? If someone's trying to get us into peace, you know, I'm all for having somebody, I want to be teachable. I totally want to be teachable. But at the same time, when, when someone takes issue and I know it's a lie, I don't receive that. I'm like, I'm going to respond. <laughs> I'm going to, like, let's dialogue about what really truth is here. So we examine the source. But people, you know, relationships, they're going to tell you that you're whiny. They're going to tell you that uh, you should get over it, you know, whatever, and move on. You know what that's like? It's like someone, like, shooting you with a gun, right? And then they're shocked that you want to go to the hospital. <laughs> Jacob? Like, I shoot you, like, and you're like, I have a flesh wound. I need to go. What? How dare you? Get over it, man. I mean, that, that is literally like people who tell you to like, just take it easy. Like, get over it. Just forget about these things, whatever. But it's worse. It'd be like me asking, so Jacob, I'm out of bullets. Could you go buy more bullets too? My insistence on him completely minimizing where truth gets violent, where darkness is, and saying, just totally overcoat it. Just don't do anything about it is the exact same thing as me insisting that he doesn't need to go to the hospital and asking him to buy the bullets. And worse, it's like, I didn't shoot you and I'm holding the gun. I mean, like, who shot you? <laughs> it's critical that we, we don't hold people for their trespasses. We don't hold people in unforgiveness. We don't allow bitterness, but we allow ourselves to heal from the trauma that happens around us. It's important that we get healed, we find truth, and that sometimes we have to have boundaries and, and borders around those who would try and harm us too. If someone is, is, is like that, like causing you pain, it is a loving thing to put a boundary between you and them so they don't hurt you. You can be loving and have a boundary. The presence of a boundary is actually one of the most loving things you can do because it says that you and I don't always overlap, that there is a point where you end and I begin. Finally, your transformation proves that dysfunction is a choice. Every one of us needs massive help. I am the first one to say that. I need massive help. Totally. I get it. But you know what I've learned? Is that every area of help that I need, I have a choice. 
There's not a single area in my life that the Lord is working on where I don't have a choice. I have a choice in all of it. I can throw a pity party for myself. I can be discouraged. I can say I'm a victim. I'm like, I don't have a, an option here. But the most powerful thing that the power of God does in your life is it gives you a choice for dysfunction. And when you live out of that, when you become whole, you become transformed, your life proves that dysfunction becomes a choice. And that's offensive to other people who are in dysfunction, who want to stay that way. It is seldom that I see people who grow transformationally the older they get. You guys are like crazy. I have never seen so many people growing and transforming so fast in my entire life. And you guys are so committed to it. And there's so many people who are just not working on anything in their life. They're kind of like just slowly like doing this, you know. And then you get old. And you know what's funny thing about like older people is like, someone told me this is that they don't get mean. They just are who they've always been, just unfiltered. <laughs> right? That they've been like tempering it for all these years and then they're just tired. And this is I'm just who I am. And I see all of us, we're going to grow old and we're going to be glorious because we're free. We're not suppressing anything. But when you transform, your life becomes evidence that people can become free and healthy. Your life becomes proof that you have a choice. Your life becomes a reminder to them that things can change. The worst thing I can hear from somebody is like, I can't. I can't. Where in the Bible does it say, I can't? Anywhere? You know, is there anything that Jesus didn't think about on the cross? It's like, gosh, I didn't think about that one. Good one. I, I, should, I should really address that sometime. No, Jesus gave us all authority, all power. He gave us all freedom. He gave all the giftings that he has, that the Father gave him, he gave to us. He gave us his spirit. We are the most equipped people on earth. There is no excuse for anything for why we can't. Amen? But I believe that every single area of dysfunction, whether it's a lie, whether it's manipulation, whether it's anger, whether it's fear, fill in the blank, fill in the blank for whatever your favorite dysfunction is in any relationship. Isn't it true that at the root of that is a desire to control you? That people lie to you because they want to control you. People are angry with you because they're trying to control you. People are manipulative because they want to try and control you. Maybe some of those things are things that you wrestle with too. Maybe you lie. Do you have a, do you have a control issue? Maybe you're manipulative. Are you, are you fearful that you're out of control? Why? It's because real health, real truth says, I can't control you. I can't control you. I only have self-control. That's what real health says. Real health says, to love you, I don't need to be controlled by you. To love you, I don't need to be controlled I don't need to control you either, right? That real love is to say, I only can, I have enough problems of my own. I'm just going to worry about myself. I can't control anything beyond that. But what we have lies, manipulation, is someone is trying to control you, right? Dysfunction says, if you love me, then you will let me control you. If you love me, you will comply with what I really, really want, some of us in here know the pains of when maybe a decision that we made in life caused maybe us to get kicked out of the house, maybe cut off financially, right? So many times the responses that people give us about who we become are actually acts to try and control and manipulate. 
Our health and our wholeness so depends upon us to be able to know that we can't control people. And even in our healthy wholeness state, right? That there's a temptation to try and get everybody and control them to be whole too. There's that other angle where we can be just as controlling as to those who are trying to suppress us. But we, we know that we only can control ourselves, have self-control, and that love never involves control. Ever, ever, ever. Love never involves control. If I commanded my wife and had an arranged marriage and I threatened her with death, she might be married to me, but I would never have her heart. Every loving relationship is about freedom and is about only controlling yourself and choosing out of that freedom. But the dysfunction, the dysfunction that people have, I think it's so much out of control. That people want you to be like them. They want you to fit in. They want you to sweep things under the rug. And so as I just kind of like want to tie this all together, this is what I want you guys to know. I know we like talk about all these different things. Your wholeness is the most important thing in your life. Who Christ is in your life and his dwelling in your spirit and his presence in your life is the most important thing in your life. And every single force in your life, every relationship that is, is in, in opposition to that, we need to not be combative, but we need to stand for something. If we don't stand for ourselves, no one's going to stand for us. We need to stand in knowing that God is truth, a life and peace, light and peace and truth, and that dwells in us, and there's consequences for that being in us. God knew that when he gave us his spirit, there's going to be a lot of drama he says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The world hates you, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I want you guys to, as we close and invite the worship team back up and we spend time just a little bit here in worship, I want you to dwell upon protecting what God is doing in you. Protecting, guarding, investing, cultivating, I want you to think about the, the areas and places that, that would be in opposition. Is there a relationship that is based on a lie? Is there a manipulative force that is trying to get you to hide your light? Is there an accusation against you that is allowing you to conform and to change who God has already told you you are? Is someone gaming you? Is someone using games and tricks and manipulation to try and get you to comply with this whole system? Is someone trying to get you to not ever feel pain, ever grieve pain and just get over it? Or are you in a position of saying, God, I want to be made whole. I want to be recovered. I want to be strong. It's the most important thing we can do.